are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. As people of all identities, race, gender, sexual orientation, family status, and more, fight to overcome historical barriers to access economic opportunities, financial advisors aiming to stay competitive may want to find ways to help a broader range of clients build wealth. Today, we'll be speaking with Connie Lindsay, who's Executive Vice President and Head of Corporate Social Responsibility and Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Northern Trust. Connie is responsible for the design, implementation, and the uh, global corporate social responsibility and global diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy for Northern Trust. This includes the development of goals, policies, and programs appropriate to the brand and business unit strategies. In addition, Connie provides oversight and leadership to the firm's response to environmental matters, as well as social issues, which we'll be speaking about today within the marketplace, workplace, and community. Connie has completed the Harvard Business School Executive Education Corporate Social Responsibility Program and is also a licensed qualified administrator of the Intercultural Development Inventory. Outside of Northern Trust, Connie is involved in so many industry and community areas. One of the roles that I know Connie has shared with me that she has enjoyed most is as past national board president of Girl Scouts of the USA, a 2.5 million member organization where Connie provided guidance in three vital areas, policy, fundraising, and leadership. She is a member of the Economic Club of Chicago and Executive Leadership Council. She serves on civic and charitable boards that include Leadership Greater Chicago, McCormick Theological Seminary, YMCA of Metropolitan Chicago, Obama Foundation Inclusion Council, among others. And Connie's work has been recognized through many awards from the Anti-Defamation League, the Chicago Defender, the National Diversity Council, and Loretto Hospital Foundation, just to name a very few of them. Connie is also a national public and motivational speaker on topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion, corporate responsibility, leadership, and personal professional empowerment. Connie, thank you for joining us today. I'm so looking forward to this. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Wow, Connie, we are not just delighted, we are actually lucky to have you on the Flexible Advisor podcast today, really to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, when we originally invited Connie to join us, we could not have imagined what was to take place across the country with the killing of George Floyd and others and the resulting protests across the nation. Connie, your role in reporting structure is really evidence of the commitment that Northern Trust has long had for seeking diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nonetheless, I would imagine there have been discussions taking place at the executive level about what more Northern Trust can or even should do to show witness that the firm stands with employees and clients of color and the communities it serves. 
Are you able to share with us what Northern Trust has done or hopes to do as an outcome of the National Call for Action? Thank you, David. And absolutely, as you indicated, diversity and inclusion, and then adding the word equity is not new for Northern Trust. We have had a Black Business Resource Council at our firm for over 30 years. We have been part of the discussion, the work, understanding the importance of an inclusive culture and what has to happen and the importance of how our business grows as it relates to that. But the past two weeks, as you indicated, have been gut-wrenching. It has torn open an already, what I'll say, festering wound of systemic and structural racism in this country. It has broadened across the world. Now, as an African-American woman uh, working in a corporation and having grown up with parents and family members who've experienced this direct racism, and even I, in my own experience, know the dystopia of that. Absolutely, this has been sad and frightening. And what I've been doing the past few weeks is holding space, not just for my Black partners, it's what we call our employees at Northern Trust, our Black partners, friends, and others, holding space to let people feel what they feel without being judgmental. The second part of that is for our white colleagues as we talk to one another who, yes, are engaged and concerned and want to know what they can do, helping them understand language that is important to not expect a Black person to make you feel better because you really do want to do what's right, but asking me to help you walk through that. So my goal and the things that we've talked about at the very senior levels of the corporation, our CEO included, is how do we take care of our employees first? How do we hold space for them, understand what they're feeling, honor that space, in addition to already the work that we're doing around, around diversity, equity, and inclusion? And so we've had conversations with our employees. Internally, all of us as leaders have sent messages about our own lived experience of racism, certainly as Black people, but then all of our leaders, white, all, all of our senior leaders in having those conversations, those courageous conversations, David, that we have to have. The other part of the work that I'm doing globally with my team and I in, in accelerating and opening up discussion is level setting around nomenclature. Words matter, words have weight. And if we can understand what we mean when we talk about things like white privilege, uh, how we identify race, ethnicity, and all of that and being specific, that's critical. And so, yes, we're looking at some community support, continuing to accelerate the training of our partners, giving people space to have the conversations that they need to have in a way that is facilitated so that we can have good outcomes, all of that, and then caring about our clients and doing all of those things. So we've got pandemic, the global, the COVID-19 pandemic, and then we've got the pandemic, I would say, of institutional and structural racism that we've got to continue to address, fight against, and, and make society and the world better for, for all people, but certainly Black people in this country. Wow. I sort of feel like I opened Pandora's box there. Um, and I know that there's so many things we'd like to get your perspective on today. It, it, as you were going through it, I was just, uh, just really appreciate what you had to say. But if you don't mind, if you could share some thoughts specifically on the role of leaders during these type of trying times or during this trying time. Number one is educate yourself on the issues and whether that's the historical context, if you're not familiar, 
two is authenticity. If you don't understand, seek understanding. What we've said to our leadership team and in, in, in communication that I've sent out, number one is to, to have empathy. And empathy is different from sympathy. Empathy says, while I might not have the same lived experience that you have, I at least understand how difficult this might be. So empathy. The second is active listening. I often ask my mentees, are you listening or waiting to speak? Listening is an aerobic activity that I am hearing what you are saying without judgment, but I'm allowing you to talk about the things you need to talk about. And then third is the call to action. What are the things that I can do as an individual and as a leader that will have a demonstrated impact on the problem that I am trying to solve? If that is a small group discussion, if it is uh, looking at the ways that I am aware of other cultures and ethnicities, but more specifically, this issue in conversation around race, and then what are the systems? I talked about it before. If we're doing succession planning and talent management, all of those things, asking those questions. Be the person in the room to say, why are there not more women or Blacks on this list? And how can I, how can I be that? And that requires you know, courage, conviction, and commitment to do it. And that's, that's what I would say to any leader. And if you don't know, say you don't know, but really make sure that you go seek that knowledge. Thank you for those comments. It's so important to hear and, and understand and think about this. And as it, as it relates to what you were talking about and ensuring that there are candidates, diverse candidates as you're hiring, I mean, it's a great dovetail into what we had originally contacted you to speak about, and that was a survey that Flexures has conducted. Again, David mentioned it, and Connie highlighted it, but Northern Trust has always been very focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, continuing to work toward a better DE&I within the organization. But as part of that, um, Flexures felt compelled to understand what was going on in the um, advisory space that we work in. It's no surprise to anybody that most financial advisors are, I, I just heard this term yesterday, male and pale. They are white people, usually middle-aged, and starting to look at succession planning. So with that in mind and the culture that, that we have, we wanted to talk to advisors to figure out what they are doing in terms of building their teams to carry on their firms or to just create a more inclusive and diverse firm. And what did investors think and what did they want from their advisors? So I'm going to share just a couple quick stats to get this conversation, this part of the conversation started. But if you'd like to learn more, we'll have a link to, to the research in our show notes. And so while the investors that we talked to all initially told us that diversity didn't matter to them, their actions actually told a very different story. The women that we responded to our survey were four times as likely to work with a female advisor. 75% of the Asian investors we spoke with worked with Asian advisors. 63% of non-white and non-Asian investors worked with non-white and non-Asian advisors. And 59% of the firms that had a DE&I program reported improvements in the culture within their firm. With all of that said, the majority of the firms ranked implementing DE&I as number eight out of nine strategic initiatives. So 
Tani, I, I'm, I'm going to guess I know your answer, but I want to ask if you're surprised by those data points at all. My response would be welcome to my world. Uh, not at all surprised <laughs> because it's difficult to challenge the concepts that have made people rich. And what allows those statistics that you just quoted around um, having DEI as eight or nine as a strategic initiative is it is because the perception and the view, and that's why data is so important in having this discussion, because it is compelling for business people to know if you continue with the path and pattern that you have, you do run the risk of losing business and becoming irrelevant as it relates to the opportunity to grow your business. So while I am not surprised that it is eight or nine, I think the data that you show is the conversation, is certainly the conversations that we have within our corporation, looking at the why. Oftentimes people will say, you know, well, why do I have to care about diversity, equity, and inclusion? The business case you'll hear people talk about. And what you've just articulated is the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, albeit there is also a moral case and just a plain doing what is right by human beings case. And so it is having the leadership. For example, at Northern Trust, our CEO, Michael Crady, has made diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not just as a term, but the su successful execution of a DEI strategy that brings three things accountability, change in the culture, how we get things done, and then the measurement of that change and the efficacy of same. So the business reason for it is as we look at a world that is changing, millennial talent, teams who are diverse tend to have greater levels of productivity, awareness of biases and how that impacts how you are perceived in the marketplace and who will want to do business with you. And certainly regulatory and policymakers are interested very much in diversity and the conduct of, of corporations. So the business case and, and client demand. It, what you're showing here, Laura, in the statistics, uh, women are comfortable doing business with women. Now, that is not to say that we don't have diverse relationships, but it is lovely to see another person whom I might believe has a similar experience. Now, that is an assumption, not always true, but I often tell our young people, you can't be what you can't see. So on a couple of levels is as someone that we believe have shared experiences, the stories that we can tell. So that is why the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, number two, the, the regulatory and policy matters, but also from a talent perspective is critically important to growing and sustaining business. I think that's so true, and, and we get into to some more of that in some of the supplemental uh, materials. But the, the business issue, as you raised, is, is here. I mean, one of the issues that we're facing is that U.S. demographics are changing, and, and it's changing very quickly. We're, we're approaching a minority-majority country estimated to hit by 2045, and, and that really is not that far off. And while this is, while we're moving toward that, our industry, the advisory space, seems to be moving backwards. There are fewer female CFPs today than there were a couple of years ago. And the representation of Black and Latino advisors has remained steady at below 5% of all advisors. So what, what can we do to help bring more diversity into this very white and male business? I would say look at the underlying structural issues. For the wealth business, what percentage of wealth in the U.S., let's just use the U.S., 
is held by people of color. And if we are developing business strategies and the 1% of the people who have the highest net worth and highest wealth are not people of color, businesses who are wanting to attract and, and, and get that kind of business for themselves, that is their focus. And in so doing, might be inclined to hire people with whom they believe that 1% or that high net worth individuals might be attracted to working with. So there is this notion of wealth and the wealth gap that exists in the US and how that influences who is seeking this type of money management or, or wealth advisory. And so how do we then develop, develop opportunities for people of color to move into roles of wealth advisory and so on. And then extrapolating from that, that at some point, and certainly while the wealth gap is widening, there are people of color who have wealth and making sure that there is the understanding of having professionals available to provide services and capabilities to those clients. I think though that it comes back down to structure, who, who owns most of the wealth, how that wealth is to be um, managed and served, and that is that is the the challenge. Thank you. For so long, it seemed to be that we heard about DNI diversity and inclusion, and and now we're hearing more, and especially through Northern Trust and through my time uh, that I've spent with you, hearing about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It would be helpful, I think, for some of the listeners to have you explain how these things are different and and how we really should be thinking about diversity in, in this light. Mm-hmm. You're right, Laura, the, the introduction of the word equity. Uh, we would often hear, and we, we often hear people use the word equality. The definition that I would offer is equity is giving everyone what they need to be successful. Equality is treating everyone the same. And now that might make people pause and say, what are you talking about? Equality really does aim to promote fairness, but it can only work if we all start from the same place and need the same help. There is a picture that I use often when I'm talking to people and giving talks, and it is a picture of a fence, and let's, for the sake of argument, say the fence is six feet tall. I am five feet, three inches tall, and um, David might be six, five, and you, Laura, might be six feet even. So in order for us to see over the fence, each of us is given a, a stool that is, is a foot tall. I still can't see over that six foot fence, but each of us got a one foot stool. So that is equal. Equity says Connie needs another seven inches to see over that fence. And Laura might need whatever the equivalent of that is. That's equity. We each get what we need to be successful in the same uh, environment because we don't all start from the same place. So Connie, since the pandemic started, we've been hearing that this is not necessarily a recession but a she-session, as a disproportionate number of women have been bearing the brunt of job losses. And we've also heard anecdotal stories of how, and I have a personal story here with my own daughter, for example, who has two young children, and both her daycare and school are not operating. So consequently, many women are choosing to leave their jobs, like my daughter, and stay home with their children. What can employers do to encourage women, especially young women and mothers, to stay or even protect against losing their female staff? It's such an excellent question because you're right, it is uh, when we look at work at home, 
and even work in the office, still a disproportionate of the childcare and that still, still is, affects women. And everyone isn't fortunate enough to make a choice between working or not working. One of the things that we've talked about within our own company is being mindful of that. How can we look at all of us have different scenarios at home and specifically for women or parents with children, how can we help them be more effective? What do we need to provide um, as the pandemic affects daycares and schools and all those other things we are, we have and are having conversations about how we think about that as employees over time come back to work. What are the ways that we can provide support? Is working from home something that might be a longer term proposition for employees who have childcare needs and concerns, as well as those who might be caregivers? What are the ways that we can provide that support? We can think about how we accommodate that. The challenge we have with COVID-19 is that schools and daycares have closed prior to COVID-19. This was still an issue in providing accommodations. Now at Northern Trust, we in the U.S. here, we have on-site daycare. So companies can absolutely think about ways to accommodate families who have children. How do you provide that for them and to retain that workforce? Is it more flexible work schedules? How do we accommodate that so that this talent that we do not want and cannot afford to lose can be addressed and they know that we're thinking about the difficulty or the challenge that they have? And yes, for women, but certainly for, for most people who are facing uh, different issues, but certainly in that regard, we have to think very carefully about how we provide accommodations and ways to support our female partners or male partners who have child care issues or challenges uh, that they need to face. I know that over the course of my time at Northern Trust, which has been almost 12 years, I've seen growth of paternity leave. I've seen in other companies. There still seems to be a little bit of a, a stigma for some men that choose to take it. Do you think that with with all of us going remote, or many of us going, having the luxury of going remote, those of us who have been able to do that during this pandemic, and the, the um, productivity that we've seen, I haven't talked to anybody that says their team has been less productive. It's generally the opposite, more productive. Do you think we'll see larger organizations and, and, and even smaller firms, smaller advisory firms, embrace this work from home so they can really support not just maternity or paternity leaves, but, but those that are not caretakers, but just would prefer to work at home and feel they're more productive. Would, do you think we'll see some kind of change coming out of this? I think we will. I think what has been shown and proven is that more people can work remotely or from home uh, than perhaps previously thought. Now, there are all kinds of technology issues that have to be addressed. There are challenges around security and risk mitigation, certainly for investment firms like ours and others to ensure that as people work remotely, we are making sure we maintain the level of integrity and care around sensitive client data and information that we want to make sure we've got the proper technological firewalls and so on. But I think what the pandemic has shown is that there are certainly the opportunity and ways of working differently. That makes all the sense to me. I think 
companies are thinking about this in creative ways that we can make sure that as a firm, we are addressing that, that we are nimble enough to shift. But I also think, and I'll, I'll add this, as I've looked at and work with our firm on remote working and how we connect, there's also a risk for talent development because those one-off conversations that we might be able to have while we're in the office, the relationships, one of the things that I'm working on, because once again, talent develop, development is critically important. How do we maintain, increase, and ensure that we're having that engagement as we look to grow and the, develop the talent in our organizations? That is something that could be, uh, that we need to think about better ways to do that as we continue to work remotely. That's, that's something that we are working on. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's a little bit harder, even though we have these video conferencing tools to deepen relationships with people mm -hmm. that you may not have known uh, before going fully remote. Mm -hmm. So Connie, as we've discussed, the, the majority of advisors are white, Malays men. And so consequently, I would think a good percentage of them as are our listeners today what actual takeaways would you provide for them as they think of growing their business post-pandemic and, can I say it, post-Floyd? Mm -hmm. I think uh, learning to be um, an ally, and it requires a level of uh, vulnerability and transparency and authenticity, understanding the issues that women uh, and people of color, Blacks, Latinx, the people face in, in the organization and what it is you can do to provide support. How can you be a voice in uh, the talent discussions, understanding what unconscious biases and practices are happening that you can help alleviate, understanding that this import is important to the growth of the business. How do you want to attract the best talent? It's being able to have a firm and an organization that looks relevant, that the representation on your teams is diverse enough and inclusive enough that you become the employer of choice or that individuals will want to work for your firm because of the stories that are being told about what the culture is like in the organization. Uh, and as some of you may have heard a while ago, Melody Hobson did a TED Talk, be color brave and not colorblind. It is okay to recognize the differences in each of us. It is not okay to hold those differences against us. So being brave and, and considerate about how we have the conversation and being willing to stand up for those policies and practices that will create a more inclusive culture. Well, Connie Lindsay, our time is up, but I have learned a great deal today. And I just want to say thank you for being our guest. Connie, My thank pleasure. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.